Thank you, Pastor Jerry. One more time, let's give the Lord just praise for what he's doing in the lives of our young people. I'm just so excited about that. We look forward to hearing those testimonies after, they, after they're changed. All right. If you have your Bible with you, uh, could you open them up to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 18. I'm going to look at the first few verses of that chapter. We've been talking about fellowship, and uh, I just pray that God speaks to us here. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. And I'm reading from the New International Version of the Bible, so if you have a different Bible, different version, it may read a little differently, but the story is the same, and this is what it says. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Father God, I pray this morning that you would give us the ability to understand what your spirit was doing on this day that we might understand who you are for us today. Uh, you are the same. You are the same then and now. And I just pray, Lord, as you reveal yourself, help us to gain understanding and insight into who you are. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people say, amen, amen. You know, we've been doing this series on, on fellowship this month, on fellowship. And I, I get excited every time we come, whether it be Friday night, oh, we've been having some awesome speakers Friday night on the topics. Even in the Bible studies, we, we hear of, of these topics. Wednesday night, uh, we gather together for prayer, and people will talk about the, the subjects, the themes that we've been thinking about the month. And it's been some outstanding, outstanding insights that I've, I've gained uh, as a result of it. Well, coming to this story and, and, and this day, I wanted to find, you know, really get at the essence of what makes fellowship work. And, and I began to look at those that study people. People who study people uh, are becoming, they're saying that people are becoming more and more lonely. Sociologists, psychologists, people who study people. They say that today, people are becoming more lonely than ever. They say that in the past 20 years, the number of close friends have dropped at least 33%. So if you only had three friends, you ain't got any now, right? In fact, that's what they say. Well, they say that it has dropped 33% while the number of people with no close friends have doubled. The number of people that don't have friends, that number of people have doubled. Where there are more people that are friendless, more people that are lonely, than ever before. They say on average, people have between two to five close friends. But even with those close friends, they still feel lonely. Especially single males. They say it's worse with the single males for whatever reason. When a single male feels lonely, they tend to seek companionship with a female friend. And so they, they want to kind of win them over. And however they do that, and sometimes they get themselves into trouble. 
You know, while most women will find friendship with other women, and, and I say most because not all the time do they find a, another, a, a female to, you know, in friendship, to join a group of friends or to do things with others. Uh, when men feel lonely, they just do different things and they try to, to, to meet women, you know, as if that is going to solve their loneliness when sometimes all they need is a friend, just a friend. And I say that most women seek friendship from other women because I, I remember one time we had a singles event and a sister came and she was just flat out, it's open, and she said, I need a man, you know, and she's like looking around, you know. Yeah. In fact, her, her clothes were so short, I wasn't sure if she was wearing a skirt or a belt. I was like, what is, hello, you know? And I'm usually opposed to sagging, but in her case, I suggested maybe you should sag a little bit. It'd be better to come down than to keep going up, but you know. That happens sometimes. That in our loneliness, we try to fill it with a, an intimate relationship. And we look for uh, the opposite sex to fulfill some need in our lives when sometimes all we need is a friend, a friend, someone we can talk to, connect with. They also say that how most friends meet has changed recently. In the past, friends met in common places like work or school or church. People meet and become friends. Or, like, or, or neighbors in the same community will meet. But in the times that we live in, these things have even changed. No one trusts their coworkers anymore. You know, with all of the crazy things that you hear happening on job sites, nobody trusts their coworkers, and neighbors no longer interact with anybody anymore. Back in the 50s and 60s, the front porch was the, the, the center of all the social activity in a neighborhood. People would gather, sit on the front porch, hey, wave to their neighbor, have conversation, iced tea on the front porch. During the 80s and 90s, and, and even in the 2000s, all that moved to the backyard with barbecues and things like that, more private, more secluded. But today, it's all online. Nobody knows who we are. We're checking profiles, Facebook pages, and the extent of our sociability is, is at, a, at a distance. It's non-personal. It's mediated by the internet, and nobody even knows that we're looking. They're just scrolling through, looking for stuff, looking for information about people, and all of our stuff is public, right? But friendship is the relationship between friends, friends. It's that thing we did when we first stepped onto the playground at the early ages of four and five. When we went onto the playground all those years ago, it was pure social interaction. We, we played together with other kids. We got to know them. We, you know, what's your name? And this is my name. I have a, I have a dog, you know. And, and we connected in an innocent place. And, and we made friends with other people. Liking someone on the basis of a friendship was easy when we were younger, when things were not as complicated, where we're asking them, what do they mean by that? Why do they look at me like that? Or what are they saying now? Oh, they're on the phone, they're texting some, oh, they're laughing now. 
I'm going to kill him, you know? <laughs> right? Crazy, craziness, right? There was a, a mutual desire to be together where the biggest part of the fun wasn't necessarily what we did, but that we did what we did with a friend, that we were with somebody, creating memories with other people, in some cases, even traditions, that we do what we do on an ongoing basis, having fun with other people, someone to laugh with, and in some cases, someone to cry with, which I think is important and necessary sometimes, to, to have a friend, to be a friend. This is what is missing, I believe, in society today. And I'm concerned especially for our children who grow up through that critical socialization period of their lives on a, on a computer screen or, or a phone screen, when they should be developing the kinds of social interaction with other kids, they're stuck on a screen looking at stuff that just doesn't develop them in any way. I'm concerned about that. When we wonder why we feel awkward later in social situations, we've forgotten how to be friends, how to connect with people on an innocent, open, and honest level. The greatest sociologist perhaps that ever lived, Emil Durkheim, once said that being integrated into a social network is one of the best things that can happen to a person, to be a part of something with other people, to do something with other people, regardless of how tough your life has been. It does something to help you. It does something to help me. In fact, friendships form a buffer from a variety of kinds of stressors and challenges that we face in life. It helps to sustain us and, and allows us to live longer, producing in us the kind of stamina because we have friends that support us with words of comfort, with that, you know, uh, that, that arm around the shoulder that, that encourages us to, to move on. Because we're going to face those random trials and those random challenges that, enter, that, that kind of enter into our lives unexpectedly, that intrude upon our, in, our, in our lives unexpectedly, that take us and hit us off guard sometimes. Friendships help us overcome loneliness and stress. They develop personal confidence and the most crucial socialization skills that we need for success in life. We learn that from friends from being connected with other people. And during this month, our focus is on fellowship. And I believe that friendship lies at the core of what we're after this month. When we talk about fellowship, man, it has to begin with friendship. So let me ask you, do you have a friend? Amen. A friend without strings attached, right? With a relationship that is robust enough to withstand petty conflicts because sometimes people get into petty conflicts and years of friendship vanish because of an argument over who's going to pay for the taco, right? And it was at the dollar taco truck, you know? Now, how do you break up a friendship over something as, as trivial as that? As I thought about what the Bible says about friendships, I, I thought of several stories. I thought about the story of Ruth and Naomi, powerful story of friendship, of a, of a commitment where Ruth was willing to commit to Naomi and say, you know what, I'll be with you wherever you go. It, you know, even beyond that, of, in, in a marriage relationship, 
our covenant is till death do we part, right? But she says, man, where you die, I will die. And it went, her, her, her commitment to Naomi went beyond death. I'm committed to you forever. Man, I thought of that. Fascinating story of friendship. I thought of Moses and Aaron. I thought of Jesus and Lazarus, which I am always so intrigued by the way this story portrays Jesus as his friend. And when he died, Jesus cried and, and could not help himself, but cried at the loss of his friend. And he loved him so much, he just brought him back to life. Fascinating story. But for me, the friendship that seems to stand out the most is the friendship between David and Jonathan. It was a friendship that was cultivated in the midst of a crisis. If you've ever read the story, very interesting story. You may recall the story where David confronted Goliath, right? This is what happens right on the heels of that story where David confronted Goliath and, and there were, uh, the Goliath stood between those two armies. It was Israel's army and the Philistine army. And he stood in the, in the battleground between the two. And he, he stood there opposed to Israel, calling out to them and challenging them, taunting Israel, trying to lure them into a fight. And Israel was terrified until David shows up. David shows up, and in the most unlikely battles, David walked away as the victor. You know the story. He went out there, took a stone or two, took him out there to the battlefield, and he threw it at the, the, the giant. The giant, he killed him right there. David and Goliath, it is the epitome of, of the underdog winning the battle. He, he won the war for Israel. And then chapter, uh, and, and then, and then chapter 18 goes on. This happened in chapter 17. Chapter 18 goes on and it kind of tells us what happens at the, at the, at the result of that battle, right? In, the, in this unlikely battle, David made a friend, Jonathan. He, he met Jonathan as a result of this. And chapter 18, verse 1 tells us that just after defeating Goliath, David met with Saul. Now, King Saul was fascinated by David and wanted to know whose boy is this? Whose son is this? Right? Who, whose, whose kid is this? He wanted to know whose boy it was because he was kind of old school, figuring out that whoever his father is, that whatever method you use to, to train your son, then we, we, we need to learn that method so that we can train everybody the same way. In fact, he took David and believed that if I could put David over the army of Israel, I'll make everyone the same way. And he did that. He put David over the men in the army as their overseer, thinking that his leadership would cause those beneath him to, to become just like them. But sometimes it doesn't work that way. That's a picture of religion. Religion is this idea that if you do certain things, all things become positive. If you do certain things, it fixes everything. If I light a candle, if I, if I follow some ritual, everything will work well with me. Religion. But his son Jonathan was inspired by David from a whole different place. He wanted to know David personally, to know him. He didn't, David didn't fit the mold of the average soldier. There was something distinctly different about David. And in order for Jonathan to be like him, Jonathan believed that he needed to walk with him, hang out with him. 
be a friend of David. This is a picture of a relationship, the exact representation of the kind of relationship we have with Christ. In order to be like him, you have to walk with him. You have to hang out with him. Jonathan had just watched David do what no soldier in the entire Israel army had the guts to do. And the Bible says that Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as he loved himself. The same, the same maxim, the same uh, oath that Jesus tells us to take when we love other people. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. He loved him as, his, as himself. In verse 2 of chapter 18, it says, From that day Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. In other words, trying to keep him close. In verse 3, it says, And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Friendship produces sameness. When you have one soul in two bodies, if you've ever seen close friends, the closest friends, it's like two people become the same person. They think alike. They act alike. They do similar things. Two people. It's amazing to see when you have that kind of friendship. So the best friendships is basically you have another self, a, a, a person that is identical to you. Then Jonathan and David, they made a covenant, which was common in that time and in that place, indicating that they were sworn brothers for life. We make we, we enter into this covenant where they were intentional in putting a plan into place that, hey, we're not going to find a reason to separate. We're not going to find a reason to divide this friendship where we are no longer friends. We've entered into a covenant, a contract, a promise that we are friends for life, brothers for life, an intentional contract where conflicts or disagreements won't separate it because it's amazing how small and insignificant issues can destroy good friendships they made a covenant lasting agreement to be brothers forever and to and to signify this relationship Jonathan took off his royal robe now remember this is the king's son and he took off his royal robe and his garments he took his sword the king's son, he's a prince, took his sword, gave it to David. His bow, gave it to David, along with uh, his belt. And, and he's here, take this stuff. And for David to receive any part of the dress which had been worn by royalty, man, was an invitation into Jonathan's circle, an invitation into his, his friendship, into his world. This was the highest honor that could be bestowed on somebody at that time. This is what the king did in the story of Esther. When Mordecai had done that great uh, you know, uh, thing by, by revealing uh, the plot against the king, and, and the king said, man, what can I do to honor the man that did such a thing? Man, give him a robe and parade him around the countryside. It's what the prodigal father did for the prodigal son. I don't know if the prodigal, I don't know if he's a prodigal father, but he's a prodigal son's father. He took a robe. He says, man, put a robe on him. Put a robe on him. It signified something. There was meaning to that. And they put a robe upon him, clothed him to signify belonging, 
belonging, sameness, oneness, my clothes upon you make us one. In fact, the Bible tells us that all of you, all of us, have been baptized into Christ. If you've been baptized into Christ, you have been clothed with Christ, becoming the same oneness. There's, you walk with him. You, you live out the, the desires of Christ in your own life, a friendship. And from that day forward, David and Jonathan were inseparable. Friendship is the essence of fellowship. Where there is no friendship, there is no fellowship. Amos asked the question in one of his prophecies. He says, how can two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? There's got to be a coming together. So what must we do to become better friends? And as I read this story, I began to think about a couple of things, three things that I think that we can do to become better, better friends. Number one, choose depth over shallowness. Now, this is something we can do. This is something I can do. I can choose depth over shallowness. Over shallowness. So I believe what fascinated Jonathan was David's depth. David was not a shallow person. He was a young man of conviction. He had beliefs deep down inside of him that guided him. Beliefs down inside of him that caused him to do the things that he did on the outside. He didn't live on the outside based on, on the circumstances, but had conviction. He didn't live on a whim. He didn't make decisions on a whim, but with purpose. He didn't act out of emotion, but with purpose. Choose depth over shallowness. To be deep doesn't mean to be mystical or, or, or you know, aloof and different, just weird and strange and odd. That's not what I'm talking about. A person that's hard to get to, hard to talk to. To be deep means that you're grounded, you're rooted. There's something more that guides your life, a man or a woman of conviction. And when I say conviction, I don't mean that you have judgments against you. Hello, somebody. Somebody's saying, I got all kinds of convictions. You know? No, a man or a woman of conviction is a man or a woman of principles, of sincere assurance Man, I am certain about some things. And I'm not going to change the way I am because I am certain about some things that are true, that are real, that guide my life. They're like a guiding confidence deep down inside of me. It means that the things that guide you don't come from the circumstances around you but inside of you. It was David who said, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. I don't draw from the stuff around me. I've put it on the inside so that when circumstances change, man, I stay on course. I'm not, you know, flipping around all over the place. This way, man, you're not easily swayed. You don't follow the crowd just for the sake of following the crowd like a flock of birds. You ever see a flock of birds? One of them's just, you know, they're pecking around in the grass. And one of them says, I'm going to go home now. And they fly home. And they're like, what happened? What happened? And they all fly with them. A whole flock of birds is flying. Where are we going? I don't know. But he flew. You know, and I'm just going to follow. And they're all going the same way. All going the same direction. And then they realize, man, wait, where are you guys going? I'm going home, man. And people become just like that bunch of pigeons. Flying around, just following whoever. Just what happened? You know, why are we flying? I don't know. They just fly, you know. 
He was a man of conviction. Choose depth over shallowness. David was a man of depth. Number two, choose broadness over narrowness. Broadness or breadth over narrowness. I, I thought it was interesting that for Saul and Jonathan, the, this confrontation was only about war. In chapter 17, when they were confronted by the Philistine army, in their mind, this was all about war. This was a war situation. And the two armies met in the same configuration that all armies meet. So it looks like a war. They wore similar outfits that all armies wore with shields and swords and spears. So it looks like a conflict. In fact, when David insisted on fighting the giant, they tried to dress him up like a soldier. They tried to move him into their language house. That, that this is what's going on, and so you become a part of the way we see things. You become a part of the way we think about things. And they tried to dress him in, in a certain way into their own concept of what this confrontation was all about. But David was not that narrow. He wasn't that narrow. He was a man of some breadth. And when I say breath, I'm not talking about breathing. I'm talking about latitude. He was a man of some range. He had, he, he had some wideness of his knowledge and his experience that this isn't the only thing he knows. I know more than this. And I see something more happening here. To David, this was more than a war situation. The entire army had a narrow interpretation of what was happening, a narrow idea of what was taking place. But David was not so narrow. He said, no, this isn't a war. This is just a man defying God Almighty. This isn't a war. We're, we're not at, at a war with it. This is a man who's making a fool of himself. Anybody can take care of that guy. This isn't a war a conflict that needs two nations. This is, this is me needing to teach this man a lesson. He's defying God Almighty. I can take care of that. We don't need an army for that. And all by himself, David reinterprets the entire situation. He changes it from a war scenario where Israel was about to get beat down by the Philistines to a spiritual situation where Goliath is about to get beat down. David's broad perspective changed everything. He saw something much bigger than everyone else saw and transformed the outcome. This is why it says, from that day, Saul kept David with him, and he wouldn't let him go home. He said, I need you with me all the time. You're a benefit to the nation. Choose breadth over narrowness. To be broad rather than narrow. You offer your perspective to other people. When your friends come to you for advice, offer them something substantial, something weighty, something significant. Don't just shoot from the hip and just say whatever. Have the kind of breath, the, the kind of, of range to speak into someone's life. Increase your latitude, your ability to speak to, to others, to, to offer something of substance to other people. What made David valuable to the king was his ability to see the world from a much wider perspective. So choose breath, amen. And lastly, if you want to be a good friend, Choose authenticity over falsehood, to be real. I mean, that is something that 
everyone looks for. Notice how Jonathan, what, what Jonathan does in verse 4. Jonathan took off his robe and, that he was wearing and gave it to, to David. He, he gave him his, his uh, robe along with his tunic and his sword and his bow and his belt. And, and if you study the, the Bible, you'll you recall the last time somebody gave David clothes, he gave them back. Because they were not authentic in that circumstance. This isn't me. Let me read to you 1 Samuel 17, verses 38 and 39. You don't necessarily have to turn there. This is what it says. It says, then, da then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his, on his sword over the tunic and tried to walk around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. He took them off. But not this time. In chapter 18, verse 4, Jonathan gives him the same stuff. And David graciously accepted them. Jonathan's clothes were a gesture of friendship. They weren't a, a symbol of, hey, or, or a tool that you need to win the battle. What David needed to win the battle was already inside of him. I don't need this stuff for that. I can be real. In this, converse, in this confrontation. I can be myself in this confrontation. This isn't a war scenario. This is somebody mouthing off at God. I can take care of this. I don't need all that stuff. I can be real with this man. A very similar situation, but David refused to be phony. That is the stuff of good friendship. Saul's clothing were attempt to change David's style to change his personality. But David refused to be phony and to be a good friend. I think we need to follow suit. Perhaps the greatest quality that we can offer others in friendship is our authenticity, that we're for real, that you be really you. You know, that's the best thing I think we can offer other people, that we be fully and authentic, authentically ourselves. Be real. Be who you are. Some might say, well, nobody wants to know the real me. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Because God uses people to transform people. He uses others to transform us, even in our brokenness, even in the dark side, the shadow part of us, the other part of us that, that nobody sees. God uses people to transform people and the way it happens best is in friendships so will you stand with me this morning I want to challenge you this morning to choose depth over shallowness choose broadness over narrowness and choose authenticity over falsehood if we do that I believe that we will be the best of friends we can create the kind of friendships that feed and fuel this idea of fellowship. Amen. Father God, I pray this morning for our congregation. I pray for a world that is starving for friendship. Men and women that are looking for companionship and they try to seek it in how they dress. They try to seek it in, in other ways that are superficial. And I pray, Father God, that we find a way to be men and women of depth, men and women of broadness, 
of range, of latitude, men and women of authenticity, real, honest, not phony, not fake, not putting on a mask, but true and real. I pray, Father God, for your transformation of our lives, that you would transform us, that what guides us is what you've placed in our hearts, not the circumstances around us, not that we respond emotionally when we're hurt, but we enter into covenants that over, override petty emotions, that override <clears throat> petty conflicts, that we can choose to be authentic, choose to be people of conviction. This is my prayer, my God, for myself, for others, for our church, that we can be this for the world around us, a world that is hurting for companionship and fellowship. May this be true of us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, the Lord has spoken to you. Perhaps you say, you know what? I'm a friend of others. I want to be a better friend. In fact, I'm looking for friends, people that I can connect with, that are real with me and I can be real with, that I can open up to and talk to and hang out with. People that won't judge, people that won't uh, share vital information with others. People who will have my best interest at heart, that will support me when I'm hurting and down, that'll help me in time of need. People who will love me through the ups and the downs. People who, are, who will be there. Oh, Father God, I pray, meet us right here, Lord God. Do the inner work, the deep work that make us better at what you called us to be and do. Lord, we respond to you this morning. And I pray any here that don't know Christ, as a personal savior. You don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Come to the altar, just come. Come, come forward, come and just stand in his presence. Come and allow him to do a work that no man, that no woman can do. Let him confirm in your heart that he knows you, that he's called you. Let him confirm in your heart that he is doing something special. Let him lift the burden off of your life. Let him transform what you see and feel and experience all because of the work he is doing. Just come forward. Let him do that work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.